morning. I think I've mentioned to you a time or two uh, before that uh, on the day we gathered for the dedication of this house of worship back in the spring of 2008, one of the scriptures that was read at the service and also the basis for the sermon that afternoon uh, was 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 where Paul writes uh, to the Christians in the city of Corinth and he says, we are God's servants working together. You are God's field. You are God's building. And I think that was, and uh, I still think it is a pretty good verse for a church dedication, but uh, I also pointed out back then and want to point out also again today uh, that the word for God's servants working together, or as some translations put it, God's fellow servants, uh, is the Greek word synergon, where we get the word synergy. Because synergy is when two or more people combine their energy, which you can also hear in that word, uh, for even greater power or, or influence as they work and as they serve together. And then I also pointed out uh, that the word for building in that very same verse uh, includes uh, the root word that is also the same word for family. So that when Paul says, you're God's building, He's also suggesting that you're God's family. You're his household. You're the house where God comes to live. And uh, with that, uh, I gave thanks that day for the synergy and for the energy of all kinds of people who prayed and who gave and who labored in the Lord to bring us to that moment of, of dedication and also for the family and the household that God made of us. And that was basically the gist of the sermon. Uh, which those of you who are here probably wish was as short and sweet as the summary I just gave to you, but there, there you go. Uh, but this time around, you may have noticed uh, that that one verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is actually the summary. It is actually the punchline of the previous eight verses in which Paul is writing to a church that he founded personally during his second missionary journey. And that obviously had tremendous potential because uh, Corinth was not only uh, a great and large city, it was also located on the crossroads of international travel, which is to say that if you could get the gospel going in the city of Corinth, I mean, there's just no telling how far it might spread from there. The heartbreaking news in all of this is that the Corinthian church was just a hot mess. I mean, it was badly broken, divided, and fractured in a number of different ways. Ranging from disagreements about uh, beliefs and opinions uh, to practices, to behaviors, some of which were flat out ungodly, others of which weren't even worth arguing about, quite frankly, along with various different allegiances and factions in the church, all of which diminished its synergy, its energy its ability to build up and grow the house, the building, the household of faith, the family of God. Because as you know, you know who wants to be part of a religion or join a church where people don't even get along with each other? I mean, you know, good thing that doesn't exist in the world today. And so having received news of all of this, Paul writes this letter to the church that he founded now five years later. And at the beginning, he, he says to them, I spoke to you when we were first getting started as spiritual infants, because that's what they were. They were, they were new Christians. They were young Christians. 
They were just getting going as the people of God. And he uses a food metaphor when he says, I fed you with milk because you weren't ready for solid food. In much the same way that, you know, you wouldn't give a little baby a great, big, fat, juicy steak. You know, because they're just not ready for it. And, and you don't blame the child for that. You don't blame the baby for being a baby. That's what, that's what they are. But now it's about five years later. And the church has grown up, but it has remained immature. And so Paul takes on all of these issues facing the Corinthian church, but he does it uh, in the context of this one major overarching issue, and that was the, the spiritual immaturity of the church that manifested itself in all of these ways. And he says to them, you've grown up, but you're still drinking milk. And you know what you say to somebody who gets older but still acts immature? Quit acting like a baby. Good thing nobody's ever said that to me. But it's between uh, that food metaphor and uh, that verse on which I preached at the dedication, the punchline of the whole passage in this part of the letter, that Paul specifically gives some signs of spiritual immaturity and therefore, by implication, some ways to grow up and to grow out of it. And that's what I want to talk about today uh, as you think a little bit about your own spiritual life, where you are in your own relationship with God, where we are together as a church and the potential that we have here in the church, in our church, or maybe in your church if you belong somewhere other than St. Andrew. And the first is to think about what you're eating since Paul uses the food metaphor, and to ask yourself, you know, how good is my spiritual diet after all? You know, am I feeding with uh, the things that the world is trying to give to me, to put in front of me? Or am I consuming what God is trying to feed me? Because, you know, we have an expression, you are what you eat, right? And so if I'm feeding on the Word of God, then, you know, the Word of God is going to dwell in me richly. If we're receiving the body of Christ, then we're the body of Christ, which is to say we're the loving hands, we're the serving feet, we're the hopeful voice of Jesus in this world. We're God's field. We're His building, His household, His family, welcoming people of every place and of every age. And so ask yourself, you know, about your spiritual diet if you want to do a little spiritual maturity health check because, you know, we get so excited about the things we eat. You know, what do you do? You take pictures of them and post them on Facebook and Instagram so your friends can see that. Can we then be excited about the spiritual food that we are consuming for the sake of our growth in Christ? If parents insist that their children eat their fruits and vegetables so that they'll grow healthy and strong, why would they not insist that they taste and see that the Lord is good? In fact, you know, we have kind of a challenge in the Christian church today, I mean, all across the denominations, where more and more children are coming to things like confirmation class, never having been to Sunday school. And so we're trying to serve up this solid food and recognize that they're not quite ready for it, which is what Paul's saying to the church at Corinth, and I think you get the idea. Another thing to think about, 
is how you're acting. Because Paul goes on to list a few very specific behaviors which were signs of spiritual immaturity in the Corinthian church. And uh, those two that he lists are jealousy and quarreling. Jealousy is uh, when you desire something that somebody else has. And I mean, it could be attention or recognition or it could be status. Or maybe it could be something uh, material or physical in nature, but whatever it is, jealousy can destroy relationships. Quarreling according to the dictionary, is not just an honest disagreement between two people who otherwise respect and love each other. I mean, that happens all the time in the world. It even happens all the time inside the church. But quarreling, by definition, is a vicious, vitriolic, contentious fight, and it's fueled by anger. That is quarreling, according to the definition. And even though, uh, you know, none of us here, I think, can really control our feelings, at least I can't, even feelings of jealousy, even feelings of anger, what we can control and influence is the management of our behavior as the people that God calls us to be. And so the question is, what's in your spiritual diet? What are part of your actions in this world? Think about what you're eating. Think about how you're acting and not just about how you're feeling. So that the message and the mission doesn't get diminished. And then, Paul says, think about who you're really following. Which is the next issue that he raises up to a church where some were obviously still following Paul even though he wasn't there anymore. He was long gone, but he was their founding pastor, and you know, nobody's gonna outdo his reputation. While some were following Apollos, because they didn't know Paul, at least not personally, and Apollos was their incumbent pastor. He was the one with the boots on the ground. He was the one that was struggling with them through all of their problems, and not just sending them a nasty letter from back in Ephesus. But Paul puts a pin in that one, too, when he says to them, look, we're all servants of God. I planted. I was the mission developer. Apollos watered what I planted. And if he didn't, it would have died. But God's the one who causes this thing to grow. God is the one who gives the increase. And Jesus is the only one who's really worth following when you are the children of God. Because these human leaders, you know, they're going to leave and they're going to fail you. But Jesus is never going to leave you and he is never going to fail you. And so, you know, if you're thinking about where you are in your walk with God and and you really aspire and you want to have, you know, a a happy, a healthy, an effective, a God-honoring, a spiritually maturing relationship with God. If you're part of this or some other faith community in this world and you really want it to be be thriving as as a powerful and a dynamic, a witnessing, worshiping, welcoming community of faith, and think about what you're eating and what's in your spiritual diet. Think about how you're acting and not just how you're feeling. And think about who it is that you're really following 
And then by the grace of God, start to make the little adjustments along the way that will help you to live as the child of God that you've been called to be and see the difference that that begins to make. And then there's one other thing that I'd invite you to think about, and it's a big one. And it comes in the last verse of today's passage. The first one I talked about, the one I preached about at the dedication, the one that really is the punchline for all of that, the rest, and that is to think about who you are. As a child of God, somebody who's really worth a sacrifice of Christ, somebody who has been promised the glory and the peace of eternal life in heaven someday with him. You are one who was worth all of his goodness and grace wrapped up in love for us on Calvary. You are one who has been welcomed into the house, the building, the family, the household of grace. And when you know who you really, really are, in the forgiveness of God, in the grace of God, in the waters of baptismal adoption, it changes you. It gets you to think differently. It influences your actions. It helps you to recapture your purpose. It takes precedence over whatever kind of food this world is trying to put in front of you or anything that they might say about you. You know, one of my favorite uh, scenes as some of you know from the uh, Disney movie, The Lion King, is when Rafiki, the priestly baboon, goes to Simba, who is completely lost, and he's alone in this world, and he takes Simba back to the water, and he tells him to look into the water. Now, in Greek mythology, we know that Narcissus also went to the water, and he looked into the water, and you know what happened to Narcissus. He fell in love with his own reflection, and it destroyed him because being in love with yourself destroys you. Simba looks into the water and he sees the image of his father. And then he hears the father's voice saying to him, remember who you are. And when he does, he is changed. And he recaptures his purpose. And he returns home to fulfill his destiny as a child of the king. Last week in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus told us to remember who you are. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're a city set up on a hill. Today Paul does the preaching in 1 Corinthians 3 when he says, you know, we're God's servants. We got synergy. We're working together. You're God's field. You're his building, his household. You're his family. And when you know who you are and you live that way, everything changes, not only for you, but for the world around you. And today, we come here to give thanks to God for two very special building workers by the names of Ken and Carolyn Carlson, who in so many ways, and he for the last 11 years is our assistant pastor and in a number of other roles long before that throughout his ministry, went about the business of feeding people with God's good word and the sacraments of Jesus, calling people to act and, and live out the reconciliation that we have in Christ, to follow the only one who's really worth following all the way into eternity. 
to remember that who we really are in Christ are children of God. Building workers who are building workers who welcome people into the building, the household, the family, here on earth and someday in heaven. And for all of that, we give thanks and we are just so grateful before the Lord on this Sunday morning. Friends, when it comes uh, to uh, traveling the road of spiritual maturity, I have a lot of miles left to go. And maybe you do too. Because as Martin Luther once famously said, we have not arrived, but we're on the way. And by grace, at the cross, Jesus made the way for you and me, even when we haven't been the best little boys and girls in this world. And he's given us some great instructions through a letter that St. Paul wrote to a church that he dearly loved. And I will tell you that this church, the Lutheran Church of St. Andrew, is far from perfect, anything but. And it's never going to be perfect with pastors like us around here. And yet thankful we are for the grace of God, for the food that we receive, for the synergy, for the energy, for the planting, the watering, the nurturing, the giving, the loving, for the family, the household. We're all people of every place and every age are welcome to enjoy this new life in the family of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.